Hard cut. <laughs> nice. All right, it's my turn to introduce the podcast today. I keep the music going. I was vibing. Uh, we can start the song over. <laughs> do you want me to play it? We, do, we don't have the time. Okay. <laughs> well, hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Film is Lit. Yeet. The, the podcast where we compare and contrast a book to its film or television adaptation. My name is Laura, and I'm the lit expert. And my name is Danny, and I'm the film expert. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. This is going to be a fun episode. Yes, for sure. What are we covering today? We're going to take a big leap between our source material and our adaptation by about 200 years. <laughs> I'm interested. Um, we're going to cover The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne came out in 1850, and we're comparing it to the 2010 movie Easy A, directed by Will Gluck. Yep, starring. Starring Emma Stone. Everyone's favorite, Emma Stone, La La Land much. Yeah, I do I do like Emma Stone. <laughs> oh. She's pretty great. She's one of those celebrities who is impossible to find fault with. She's like Tom Hanks. It's like everyone loves Tom That's Hanks. True. Everyone loves yeah. Emma Stone. And I honestly don't like a lot of these teen movies. Like, I, again, I might alienate some people who like our podcast, but I am not a fan of things like Superbad and um, what's another one of those that is like early 2000s teen movies. There's that whole genre that came out during the time then when we were in high school that most of them um, do not age well. Yeah. So I can't think of, uh, on the spot, I can't think of many because I'm so, I'm so much in easy A mode, but I think listeners know exactly what we're talking about. The comedies from the 2000s, comedies in general, yeah. don't age well because humor changes over time. Mm -hmm. So you watch comedies, not just from the early aughts, but from the 90s and 80s oh, and 70s. The 90s, yeah. It's, you get into big yikes territory. Yeah, um, where it's funny to make fun of gay people and women just because they're gay and female. <laughs> a lot of, there's that, a lot of fat phobia as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, so comedies are tough to, e even within a few years, a comedy can spoil. Yeah, and I think that's something that I enjoy about this movie. I actually think the humor, most of the humor, yes. ages fairly okay. And I would say especially above average when you compare it to something like Superbad or, uh, oh, another, like, um, Knocked Up. That's another one. Just Judd, oh, the Judd Apatow yeah. Um, comedies. Yeah. Yeah. For um, sure. So I, I think especially when you compare them, when you compare this to those movies, it ages pretty well and i think the cool thing about this having been sourced from the scarlet letter is that it's the perfect place to use where people are treated so harshly yeah that the scarlet letter is really actually applicable to the strict societal expectations that are like in, that were in the puritan era and are totally reflected you know and i was doing a little bit of thinking about this too um like when in your life have you ever been treated the worst and it's in high school yeah you know what i mean so i love that they modernized this and it's really not a one-to-one -one adaptation we should start right there it's mm -hmm. a very loose 
adaptation of the book, but I think it's just such a perfect place to put the characters who are struggling, unfortunately, with the same societal issues. Definitely. Because people are just mean in high school. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in the book, I feel like the entire town is acting like these gatekeeper characters who are like gonna bully you if you put a toe out of line yeah like it's perfect like clicks and nathaniel hawthorne probably unknowingly made a great future comparison that organized religious groups can sometimes resemble high school clicks sometimes yeah well like (laughs) the high school ecosystem if you will the the milieu is a one-to-one comparison for the Puritans or for organized religion in general. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and I think that's something we're getting into a little bit of analysis here, but that's okay. It's our podcast. Um, but that's why I think it's so fun to bring in the Amanda Bynes character and her clique of yeah. ridiculously annoying Christians with crosses up their ass. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally can't sit down because they're so, they're jammed so far up their ass. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's the perfect, like you're saying, it's a clique. But it's also a clique that's taking a lot of the same ideas. In fact, these same ideas, because they're based on the Bible, that the Puritans in in, uh, the Scarlet Letter are taking to use to judge people. So uh, Hell yeah, the Puritans, my ancestors, whoop, whoop. <laughs> my mom did, you know, traced back. And um, we have family that came over on the Mayflower. That is cool. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Nathaniel Hawthorne is from Salem, Mass., which, which is, kind of, is and his yeah. great 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 grandfather was a judge involved in the Salem witch trials which is why he has a w in his name because originally their name was spelled h a t h o r n e without the w but he put the w in there to like uh to distance himself from his hateful relatives yeah, which i thought was kind of interesting he's like i'm related to them but i don't like know them <laughs> yeah <laughs> But you know what? You still have to take responsibility for your ancestors' errors. Yes. So I don't know. The if sins really... of the father. <laughs> I don't really know if adding a W really does much for that. Right. <laughs> but, okay. So anyway, yeah. That's a, that's a pretty long introduction to what we're covering. Um, but I'm really excited. I have I have a lot to say, I think. Yeah. And I'm especially excited because I had never read the book, nor had I seen the movie before that's right that's surprising i've heard so much well about the book just because it was in the high school curriculum but through the teachers i had it was never assigned to me and then of course easy a came out when we were in high school and it was a huge hit yeah but yeah i I just didn't get around to it but i'm happy that i finally saw it now because it is quite funny and does hold up for again a comedy from the 2000s that's rare that yeah. that happens mm-hmm. i mean there's like the hangover and stepbrothers that i guess are still funny but super troopers yes but everything else it doesn't the 2000s do not have a good track record yeah. that's for sure yeah all right let's get into our journeys with the source material and the movie i guess i kind of hinted at yeah, mine a little bit up your, your sure a bit. well freshman year of high school I went with my girlfriend at the time and a bunch of other friends. What was our fucking name? <laughs> that whore. <laughs> That's ahead. exactly the humor that they use in this. Right, yeah, yeah. So it's appropriate. It's a comment on the source material. It's not really what I mean. Yeah. Um, 
and I saw a little film called Fired Up, which came out a year before Easy A. We have such a great shared history with this movie. So, okay, so Fired Up, another example, the rare example of a comedy from the 2000s that holds up. It does have some problematic elements. I mean, that's to be expected. Well, I was going to say, before you make that claim, we haven't seen it in like a decade. So I actually don't know how it holds up. Sure. Our friends over at the yeah. Secondhand Film Critics saw the movie based off our recommendation. Oh, that's right. And their general thesis is that this is a genuinely funny movie that does have some elements we that... We have to watch it together. Yeah. Because this is something we... This is... Sorry, I'm totally... Chubba Wumba, soundtrack of my life. Uh, again, I'm totally stealing your spotlight right now, but on our first date, I think we happened to be talking about, or maybe second, we were talking about, um, guilty pleasure movies. Yes. And I think either you or I said fired up and the other person was like, no way, that's a, that's one of my guilty pleasure yeah. movies. So it's kind of fun because as much as it is a pop culture movie, it's not one that like people know what easy A Yes. Is. Like, I feel like this was definitely a zeitgeist right. moment movie, but that is not so much. Yeah, it fired up. It doesn't have any um, big stars in it, so yeah. there is no real big draw to it other than the premise, which is that two high school uh, football players, star football players, have to attend a cheerleading camp over the summer because they want to skip training camp, and yeah. they're sent to this. So... They end up realizing that, oh, we should respect cheerleaders and women. It's this whole, and they end up competing, and yeah, so it's this whole thing. So anyway, you brought Fired Up up because... Will Gluck. Yes. I brought Fired Up up because Will Gluck (laughs) did it Um, and loved it. I was like, wow, I was expecting a trashy, forgettable comedy, and then that's actually genuinely funny. So the next year, a year later, he directed Easy A, and back in 2010, I wasn't too big on film criticism and um, tapping into the general zeitgeist of how a movie is received and, and stuff like that. But I knew people were talking about it, and Emma Stone was emerging as this star. This was her first starring vehicle, mm-hmm. Easy A. Then the next year, Will Gluck, so three years in a row, he directed three movies. Friends with Benefits came out, starring... Oof. Talk about forgettable. Well, the ending is forgettable, which I think ties into Easy A a bit and and Fired Up. But it had the star power of Justin Timberlake, who is Justin Timberlake, but he also had just starred in The Social Network, so he was really blowing up. We're covering that later this season. And also Mila Kunis at the time. So Mm -hmm. Fired Up is also a huge hit. So Will Gluck had three hits in a row. Easy A had a budget of $8 million, made $75 million dollars. And then Friends with Benefits, a budget of $35 million, made almost $150 million. Oh, So shit. he was making hit after hit, and then he made Annie in 2014, starring mm-hmm. Convention A. Wallace. Totally tanked his career. So I've been oh, watching, really? yeah, I've, he hasn't really rebounded since. He's directed the hot movies. But I, I've been a huge, I'm a huge fan of that one, two, three punch that mm-hmm. Will Gluck had, and after wa- finally watching Easy A, I'm like, yeah, he really was on a tear there for three years making these comedies during this time where comedies do not age well, but that still relatively hold up. And I had always known about the Scarlet Letter with the A on the um, the chest. Uh, I always knew about that. 
But then I was really excited to read the book because I saw a play of it. I went with my mom. It was at Westfield State College, which is now Westfield State University. Where Adam and Amanda met. Right, right? yep. And I went to this play begrudgingly, ended up loving it. It changed my life. I started Hmm. reading the book, and then I go, oh, that play was The Crucible. Oh, no. So I totally conflated the two. I love, we should cover The Crucible, by the way. That would be I a good love one. the Crucible. And I was really? Yes. And I was oh. so jazzed up to read the book. Oh, that's such a bummer. Did you ever go back and read the Crucible? In college, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did I, you like it as much as the yeah. play? Oh yeah. Oh, that's such a bummer. But I understand there it's very similar morals yeah. and ideas didn't mm-hmm. come out around the same about 150 years or about 100 years removed yeah, from each other right. but very similar about actually Salem yeah and that's actually really cogent to what we're talking about because mm-hmm. the whole theme that women still can't yeah be used as anything except sexual objects right and is, the double standard of the, yeah of what a man says versus, versus what a woman says or and does yeah yeah that's, and how credible the public views uh, spoiler it. alert it's an enduring theme that yes <laughs> continues on which is why day. this is such a powerful adaptation because yeah the text really holds up but yeah. yeah i started listening to the book and i'm like okay language is a little dense it's a little yeah. tough but i'm ready for it. and then i slowly realized oh my goodness this is a completely different story I had a tough time getting through it not because of the content because of the language yeah what what's the style is it still considered contemporary or absolutely yeah it is but okay. it's dark romanticism gotcha and so think like you know frankenstein mm-hmm. poets like yates gotcha that they just really loved a flowery sentence <laughs> mm-hmm. sure yeah. De- definitely and there are some lines in here that are just incredible they knock me on my butt but I did have to consult Spark Notes. I felt like I was right back in high school. 100%, yeah. I enjoyed it, but something like Easy A is so easy to <laughs> so easy to consume and watch and talk about and to enjoy. What a great adaptation. So, mm. yeah, that's my journey. How about you? Well, surprisingly, I didn't read this in high school. Even in the movie, it's assigned as a high school reading book. Mm-hmm. But I was not assigned to read it in high school. And then, ironically, I read it for an English class while I was studying abroad in England. Nice. So I took American Lit in England mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than in the U.S., which was kind of fun. Yeah. I, like, I kind of like that. Um, so I read it the first time. I remember liking it the first time a lot. And it was probably because I liked my professor. I didn't enjoy it as much this time around and maybe that was just because there was a lot going on when I was reading it so I kind of kept having to put it down and come back and so it took me a long time to immerse myself in the language again because it's difficult I'm not going to say that it's not difficult but I do think that it's a really complex story and I don't hate Hester Prynne I she's there's been a lot of feminist criticism around this book and one of the things that I think the one of the reasons I think it's so enduring is because we have a fairly complex character in Hester and we also have a fairly complex character in Pearl. Yeah. They're both really interesting characters. And as much as it's really dark and really dense 
Mm-hmm. I think that there's a really interesting conversation to be had about sure. morality in here, even though it's very steeped in Christian ideals, which are so silly at the end of the day. And I think, again, that's why EZA are, is such a successful adaptation, because even though we talked earlier about how much you're bullied in high school, probably more than you ever really will be throughout life, um, it's also kind of funny that the highest stakes in the book become almost child's play yeah in the movie i i love that because you know one of the reasons the book is a little bit impenetrable is because we can't really imagine living in a society like that at least for us we yeah. live in a very liberal area i'm sure it would be different for someone who lives in like deep in the, the bible deep belt. south or something yeah in the bible belt where you, i'm you know you're judged and especially in like a small town you're judged by everybody even the adults around you so it may be a little different but for danny and myself i feel like it's really hard to imagine you know, like right. put yourself in a position where you're, you know, you've had sex out of wedlock and you end up being pregnant. It's like not a big deal to mm-hmm. people for the most part. Yeah. But, but so I just kind of like how putting that into high school reveals mm-hmm. how ridiculous it would be to judge someone like this. So definitely. Anyway. Um, yeah. And even though I grew up in the same state that this story took place in true. and my ancestors were Puritans, I was raised protestant uh, mm-hmm. congregationalist which is like obviously i'm biased because i grew up that way but it couldn't be more chill a type mm-hmm. of like yeah believe it if you want dress up for church you don't have to mm-hmm. and it is hilarious to think of any religious extremism against you know sexual promiscuity it it really is just bizarre and funny um Well, another way I think the movie really does a good job at poking fun at it is the teen language that was developed for this movie. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things I really like about it is it's very colloquial. And it was filmed in Ojai. And I love that all of the characters are like just the most California people that you can find. And Ojai is the most (laughs) California town. Uh, Non-beach town. Yeah, right. Yeah, It's, it's more of like, it's kind of like a like a central California wine country, like just very chill laid back kind of area. And I just love that all of the characters are using language like shit balls. Like Mm -hmm. I of course can't come up with anything. Shit dick. Shit dick. Yeah. It's, I just, I think that again, really supports how silly being entrenched in your own, like little tiny area is it's yeah. like that kind of language comes out of being a teen mm-hmm. and feeling like you have really big emotions but like when you get a little perspective after you graduate you realize these things were really a small deal mm-hmm. um i just love how they use language in this movie i also i actually watched the special features on the blu-ray that we have and i found out a fun little fact about will gluck so when he was developing the screenplay with the writer, um, they were originally going to get hit with an R rating. Yeah. But they really wanted to target the teen audience. Obviously, this is a teen movie. Yeah. So they had to take out a lot of the language that they originally used. The and F-bombs. One of the, yeah. And one of the only ways that they could do that was by making up words. And so stuff like when they talk about the sexual positions like a lemon squeeze and a butter bean all that (laughs) stuff or or like i think one of them is a reverse melon bag (laughs) 
they did that on purpose because they had to make up these silly things that the MAA wasn't going to be like, oh, you can't say fuck or shit or something like yeah. that next amount of time. And the other thing that I found out, which was fun, is Will Gluck said that he ended up going on Urban Dictionary and writing definitions for the, the made-up words that he made yeah. because the, he knew that the MAA was going to go onto Urban Dictionary and search the things that he made up to to sort of judge what their rating was going to be, mm-hmm. which I thought was so funny. Like, he trolled the MAA, which is also, like, such a teen thing to that, do. That's rock and roll, baby. Isn't that so funny? I just wanted to share that because I thought it was such a fun little thing piece about d- the development of this right. film. <laughs> right, yeah. The PG-13 movies are only allowed, for whatever reason, one F-bomb. You can say you can yeah. say the S word, the B word as much as you want, but you can't have any nudity and you can't say the F word more than twice, which I mean, why okay. Um, right. yeah, and of course you cannot show nudity in a PG thirteen movie, meaning you can't show uh, nipples, uh, female nipples or female nipples. Yeah, right. right. You can show male mm-hmm. nipples. That's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you can't show glizzies. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hot dog. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> a male glizzy, if you will. Right. So the fact that PG-13 comedies in general aren't usually good because yeah. comedy, you kind of, I'm not saying you need to swear like a sailor, but comedy sometimes need to be explicit or you need to be able to swear. Well, or you, you need... need to be able to act in a way that's appropriate to the age group. Yes. And teens are very obviously in that zone of pushing boundaries. And yeah. so they swear a lot because that's their way of pushing. That's one way that's kind of acceptable to push boundaries. And so the ironic thing too that I was going to point out is that this whole movie is about the societal pressure for all of to say that she has all of this sexual experience when she's never taken a piece of clothing off in front of a boy mm-hmm. in a sexual way. Yes. And so the fact that the MAA was still going to rate this as an R is ridiculous. Like that, that that's the whole yeah. point of the movie that like They're... women have a double standard of right. like not being able to say fuck more than two times, but they can go ahead and show their boobs and like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, you know, whatever. Yeah. Acceptable. So uh, case in point. <laughs> So let's get into the analysis. Full spoilers for both the movie and the book. Again, full spoilers. We're spoiling everything. We're spoiling The Scarlet Letter. If you haven't read it yet, then that's kind of on you. It's been out for 200 years. (laughs) Yeah. You've had plenty of time. The statute of limitations is now Mm -hmm. over. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let's get to the compare and contrast. Let's do what we do best. Maybe. Easy A, obviously a little less extreme, but it's an accurate portrayal of how female promiscuity is dealt with um, Mm -hmm. in society, whether it be modern society or back in the uh, puritanical Massachusetts Bay colony. Both Hester and Olive are shunned and hated by their peers, losing friends and loved ones Mm -hmm. along the way. In the Scarlet Letter, Hester did commit adultery in Easy A, the kind of modern twist is that she never actually did any of the things she said. But the point is, whether it happened or not, this is the public's reaction. And 
how people react. They react in a very vitriolic, hateful way. Nathaniel Hawthorne and director Will Gluck are putting a mirror onto us and onto society. It's like, hey, you claim to be these um, righteous, virtuous people, but like this is how you attack someone mm-hmm. because they're because they might go against the social norms. Mm-hmm. EZA focuses more on exposing that double standard between men and women, especially in high school. So if you're a boy and sleep with a lot of people, you're known as a player, a baller, a king. If you're a female, you're known as a slut. Mm -hmm. You're labeled a slut. Um, Slut, whore, bitch. Right. And yeah, this just attitude towards sex in America. Really, I mean, we already, we just talked about the MPA, but really they kind of... I think if they were a little bit more liberal and open with these things like nudity and stuff like that, I think the culture would be a little bit different and more accepting. Yeah, well, I was doing some thinking on why this story is so enduring. And unfortunately, as much as I wish we could put this book to rest, because I do feel like we have bigger fish to fry in a lot of ways, I think that one of the reasons it's so enduring is because this is a theme that continues into today. And I actually had a couple questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, The whole premise of the movie, right, is that men are giving all of something like a gift card or money or something to be able to come away with sexual experience. Mm -hmm. But when she does the same thing, she is downgraded in society yes for being even associated with the men who are getting all of this sexual clout Mm -hmm. so what i wanted to ask you because i have experience of being called a slut and a whore by friends by people who i hang who i hung out with in middle school and high school who knew that i was a virgin i didn't lose my virginity till i was 19 and i can't tell you how many times i was called a slut and a whore Mm -hmm. by people again who i was friends with so my question to you was did you ever experience times where you felt pressure to have had sex or to you know be more experienced than you were because you were a man Mm -hmm. did you ever experience that in high school or middle school or even college definitely i'm not saying this to brag (laughs) it sounds like i'm (laughs) gonna say my uh count no i'm not i'm saying in high school I really excelled socially, not because I was cool. This is so interesting to me too. Yeah. Not because I was cool, but because my high school had a great AV department and I would make funny videos and no one else in the high school was doing that. So I became known as the video guy. I think I was semi-talented at creating this stuff, but by virtue of the fact that I was the only one doing it, I think I gained some very specific popularity Mm -hmm. in Westfield, Massachusetts, (laughs) and I had a great time in high school. Mm-hmm. I I loved it. Mm-hmm. I look upon that time very fondly. Obviously, I'm lucky that I've had that experience. And then I went to college at BU, which is Westfield High is, I would say, moderate-sized, 1,500 students. Mm-hmm. Went to BU, which has 15,000 students in undergrad. And I went from being like a king at Westfield mm-hmm. to being absolutely on the lowest rung i had trouble making friends my freshman year and i think i was just i wasn't trying to meet people i was just i was just like no they'd all come to you right i'm like no people (laughs) i i release videos on facebook and then i get 
showered in likes and everyone loves me, right? <laughs> and then I had a really tough time. I cried a lot and I tried to get an in with this little click in one of my film classes and it was a lot of film bros, which I know I'm a film bro as well. But as one, I can say that the line between frat bro and film bro can be blurred at mm, some times. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to get into this club and integrate myself and they would just go to frat part. Oh, some of them were in frats. And yeah, that the question would come up frequently of what my count was. Uh, you, they tried, the goal would be to get as many girls as you could. Mm-hmm. And I was, I went into college single So I felt super, for the first time in my life, I really felt incredibly insecure, uh, pressured to have sex. And I loved my college experience as well. But I think my first semester freshman year was a dark time. Mm -hmm. I I really had trouble getting my footing. I'm not trying to get sympathy. Like I know that it sounds, it can sound a little weird for me crying about how I was popular in high school, and then I was lamenting when I wasn't popular. I'm just saying that I had trouble, and I definitely faced that throughout freshman year. Sophomore year of college, I found my people. I auditioned for a sketch comedy group, and got in. And since then, I, I had nothing but good memories. Those are the real cool people, the comedy mm-hmm. people. I, I I can't believe. I didn't waste a year, but I did have a year of hardships where I faced exactly that, being pressured to have sex. Yeah. Well, I think everybody has that a difficult freshman year, yeah. to be honest. And I gained 25 pounds. The, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think everyone has a tough year. It's interesting to hear what you're saying, though, because I also had a really tough freshman year, and it was because I went to a very religious school, and so... I came Bring them of, young. Well, it's, yeah, <laughs> no, obviously most people who listen to this podcast know I went to school in North Dakota. Very, very small school in North Dakota. But it's so interesting to me because when I was in middle school and high school, I was bullied or I was, you know, called a slut or a whore from people who knew that I had no sexual experience. Mm-hmm. And then I went to college and I finally sort of blossomed into someone who was actually very confident with my sexuality and did start sleeping with people And then I was shamed by the religious people in my friend circle who were shocked and horrified that I was not married and having children after I had sex. Yeah. Like shocked and horrified that I was using contraceptives or that I was even open to talking about my sexuality or talking about the people who I was having sexual experiences with. So I went for a, (laughs) it's, it's just very indicative of the idea that women can't win. Like, yes. I could not be confident in myself because I was bullied and I couldn't be sort of ashamed of what I was doing because then I was also bullied. Right. Um, I'm very glad that I came out of that experience realizing that it was the people around me who were doing something bad and I was doing what was right mm-hmm. um, just purely by being confident and being happy with my decisions. But it's tough. It wasn't fun. And I think it's also really... It speaks very highly to the people who I did actually come out of college being friends with. For example, Bailey, who I love, of course. Who Shout was out Bales. To, yeah, who was <laughs> able to support me because they were also going through that, you know, really similarly being shamed for either having too much or too little sexual experience. 
So it speaks to the people who are able to support you in those ways. Yes. And to sort of bring this all back to what we're trying to talk about in this episode, um, Hester has none of that support uh, Mm -hmm. outside of Pearl, who I think is supposed to be a symbol of her passion. And what I really love about the book is that Pearl is never really turned into an object to be ashamed of. Right. Like Hester is always very devoted to her child. I think that's really symbolic of the fact that Hester never regrets her decision to be adulterous with Arthur Dinsdale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, that's, that's pretty Reverend Arthur Reverend, Dinsdale. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really progressive for Nathaniel Hawthorne oh, because she's yeah. never, I think she regrets the decision, but I don't think that she regrets her child. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting that Olive also really has no support because her friend Rhea, Rhea, Rhea? Rhiannon. Rhiannon. That's her full name, but I think she calls her Rhea a lot. Rhea? Whatever. Yeah. What's the actor? Let's call her Rhea. Let's call her Rhea. Played by Ali Machalka, who, I a quick diversion here, um, whose buttons on her shirt are, are constantly busting yeah. out into frame, <laughs> cracking the glass. I'm not saying this to be crass, but I it's feel like little... every time she was on screen, Will Gluck's direction was like, okay, Allie, um, unsheathe your breasts. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is, is it's nuts. noticeable. Uh, well, and the funny thing is, too, that she starts, it's heartbreaking, right? Because she starts the movie being Olive's best friend and pushing her to have more sexual experiences because she's very sexually experienced. Yes. But then as soon as Olive starts acting the way that she's been pushing her to act, she immediately, like immediately turns to Amanda Bynes' character, who's the holier-than-thou Bible thumper, Marianne, and and switches to her side just because Olive didn't come to her with the information first. Right, and that reflects Nathaniel Hawthorne's theme of that when society sees the sins that they Mm. commit reflected back on them and other people their reaction is hate when really deep down inside they're like oh i do that too and i'm ashamed that i do that too exactly so it's a great comment about how the town of boston during the times they revolted but literally that everyone does the same thing i mean the reverend of their community was the person who impregnated Hester. So it's like her best friend, the person who more or less coerced and forced Olive to create this lie um, unknowingly, is now reacting that way when she's the same. So I know that they're trying to dress her up in that way, but her (laughs) boobs are front and center. So much where it's like I got a little uncomfortable. Like I'm like, is Laura, is she okay with (laughs) (laughs) Well. But I think you bring up a really good point. And I like how this conversation also touches on the fact that Olive does actually have a really supportive family life. And yes. so the the support that she gets from her home life turns into or gives her the confidence to be herself and to honestly embrace the stereotype. She's like, you know what? If people are going to call me a slut, I'm just going to do it. And I love that confidence. And I think the only way that that confidence is believable is because of her parents. Because they are, number one, they're a fucking riot. I adore Stanley Tucci 
and was Patricia Clarkson. Patricia Car- Clarkson as her parents. I think this might have been the first movie that I saw Stanley Tucci in, and I was like, the. They are the parents that I want to be. Yeah, they're the coolest parents ever. They're, they're so fun. They make fun of the teen experience in a way that doesn't feel hurtful. Yeah. It's it's a way that makes me feel like they know exactly what Olive is going through. And I think that relationship is so beautiful in the movie. Yeah, this is where the script by Bert V. Royal really shines uh, there's yeah. so many one-liners that are so funny and part yeah. of it's that it's well written the other part is that stanley tucci and patricia clarkson are just the, class a actors just off the charts i love that they have this like adoption subplot yeah. i think one of my favorite lines is when they're they're talking about something over breakfast and mm. their son goes wait but like that that's genetic that wouldn't matter because i'm adopted and immediately stanley tucci like like throws his he slams his fist into a cabinet and he goes what who told you yeah and and later (laughs) on when he's sitting on the couch next to his son he turns he goes so where are you from originally yeah just so funny just amazing writing the one-liners here i mean i love when her mom's like not to mention how you've been dressing these past few days no judgment but you kind of look like a stripper yeah and i was like mom and Stanley Tucci's like a high-end stripper for governors or athletes, but a stripper nonetheless. Right. Perfect. But no, that's that's literally perfectly encapsulating the fact that they know that there's more than high school, but they also it feels like they're respecting that Olive has to go through it. Yeah. I really adore that because again, I feel like that supports Olive's character being confident enough to embrace the stereotype, and for a while. That brings her confidence. Mm-hmm. I think it's later when she starts to internalize it and starts to find self-hatred in that identity. Mm-hmm. And that's what starts to become like the sad downturn of the movie. And I think that's where she finally decides to do that vlog, which, by the way, is absolutely cringy. The whole idea that you're vlogging a confession, that's so 2010. Yeah. You know what I mean? The... <laughs> but, it, but, but my point, again, is that like as soon as she starts to internalize those ideas and judgments i think that's when she kind of starts to shine because you know she's like you know what i don't need this i can be confident no matter what yeah i think the point in the movie where that she really hits her low point is when uh, anson that character who's like the kind of the popular boy takes her out yeah he thinks that people are actually paying her or giving her gift cards Mm mm-hmm for sex he doesn't realize that it's not actually happening and that's when olive comes to the realization that oh this rumor has gone beyond just me being a slut people think i'm an actual sex worker here and now the the reverse is true well in and, the... and and i just want to say it's not necessarily that she's actually having sex for money it's it's that she's in danger mm. So it's like, because I think she probably wouldn't mind if she was actually having sex, if it was for with people that she was attracted to. Right. But he actually tries to like force himself, force himself right. on her. And I think she realized that she, that extra part of that she's actually in danger is what is kind of the wake up call for her. Yeah. Whereas the opposite is true in the book where the big moment of clarity for Hester is when she realizes that the A is a source of empowerment and she Mm -hmm. helps out the community regardless of their view of Mm -hmm. her. 
and she doesn't she doesn't even care about right or wrong and the community at first is like wait a second the whole point of the yeah. the a is that you're supposed to know what's right or wrong hester's like i don't care and then everyone loves her despite the fact that she doesn't care about religion anymore mm. and so it's it's a complete 180 from the book which i like how the movie adapts the overall theme but of course the story being contemporary is different but also it has a different uh, flow. Yeah, and as much as I don't subscribe to the Christian ideology that's in the book, I think the important part is that Hester rises to the challenge of actually embodying those ideals because mm-hmm. she's the one who takes responsibility for, you know, possibly a, tor- a poor choice. Like, mm-hmm. as much as, I mean, her disgusting old husband like she has the total right to cheat on him because yeah. it's gross and you know what else is funny i was actually thinking about how hester roger and is olive, a cuck yeah he's <laughs> disgusting um but i was actually thinking about how hester and olive are probably the same goddamn age <laughs> honestly yeah because you know i women were expected to be bearing children by the time they were like 17 mm-hmm. um But I think the point is that she is the only person in the book who's actually able to rise to those Christian ideals of taking responsibility for something that, again, is morally questionable. You you know, you're married and but in her case, she probably didn't have the option to get divorced, but still morally questionable to cheat, you know, no matter what age your husband is or whatever. Um, So she's able to take responsibility for that. And then rise above it by still catering and ministering to the people who were so terrible to her the entire time she was living. In fact, she moves away from the town and then comes back to minister to the community because she feels like that's where she belongs. And that's maybe where she can do, she can be a symbol of rising to that ideal of, you know, doing your best to embody the Christian Mm -hmm. ideology. So I I think that's also another strength of the book. They really give Hester credit for her ability. For sure. Yeah. The movie really excels off of Emma Stone's performance. And like I said, this is her first starring role. But it's clear right off the bat that she has the confidence, the poise, the moxie to be just a powerhouse actress that she is today and the movie would fall apart without her even with the great supporting performances so we've already mentioned stanley tucci patricia clarkson they're great thomas hayden church as uh, her favorite teacher he is really incredible in this uh rebounding after starring in spider-man 3 a Mm. few years before which is a pretty terrible movie. I love I love when he says, hit the books, they don't hit back, mess yeah. with the bull, get the horns. <laughs> All of the cliches that he... Yeah. Yeah, he does a great job in this. Yeah. Lisa Kudrow as the guidance counselor who's slept with our yeah. little Miss, Mr. Twilight, Cam... Gigande? Uh, I don't know. The Micah. Um, well, I was going to bring up Dan Bird as Brandon. We yeah. haven't really talked about his subplot, but he's great. Mm-hmm. And then a little actor I like to call Fred Armisen. Yeah. Who has three lines as Marianne's dad, the pastor, mm-hmm. uh, is such a delight. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure he had... He had like two days between filming mm-hmm. SNL and like flew out to Ojai. Or they, maybe they even did it on a soundstage or something, but he just kills it. <laughs> well, see, apparently on there's an article that states that all the 
the shots in the movie were shot in location yeah. on in Ohio. Like even the housing, the houses mm-hmm. were not sound stages. Which I don't know if I completely believe that because that's kind of not impossible, but the likelihood that that happened is low. Who well, I watched behind the scenes, and they all looked like they were filmed in house. Okay. Anyways, Fred Armisen is great in this little. He's so funny. This little role, Penn Badgley, Joe from You. Okay, well, at this time he was Dan Humphrey in Gossip Girl. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's so funny because everything I've seen him in, I feel like he is Dan Humphrey. Like there's there are conspiracies out there that are like he was always Dan. Like Joe's character in You has always been Dan. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the same with this movie. <laughs> but he's good. He just acts exactly like Dan Humphrey. Right. Oh, but do you want to talk about the woodchuck scene? Yep. Middle of the movie, they change the high school mascot from the devils to the woodchucks, and he just runs out and does this like hammy like woodchuck thing. It's so it's goddamn so funny. funny. Yeah. He's... I think we watched that like. 15 times in a row yeah we, we just, just kept re- rewinding it because it was so fucking funny yeah oh speaking of gossip girl there was that I, I knew it i was looking for the quote so there's a line early on in the film when rhiannon is talking to olive and he's talking about the supposed community college guy that uh, she slept with and rhiannon says you're being pretty cavalier about this aren't you supposed to be eternally in love with him and shit and olive said yes i believe so if i was the gossip girl in sweet valley of the traveling pants oh my gosh i didn't even recognize i didn't even notice that yeah so the gossip girl reference so the gossip girl show happens in this universe universe. whoa (laughs) what so pen badgley is oh and there's a whole thing okay you know what i don't need to get into gossip girl never mind we're gonna step away from that never yeah. mind um malcolm mcdowell is in this movie yeah he's fun yeah his, his little uh his little scene as the principal he's like if i can keep the girls off the pole and the guys off the pipe i get a raise <laughs> <laughs> he's great and then amanda Bynes in her last movie role her last role mm-hmm. in general I don't know about you, I grew up on the Amanda Bynes show. I sure did. Amanda Bynes show was the SNL for kids. All that. All that too. Yeah, Yeah. but but then she transitioned into her own show. That was everyone who loves SNL now that's our age grew up watching those two shows. Amanda, she had genuine talent. It's a shame where her life went. I hope she's okay. She's I, doing all right. I, I read about her every once in a while. And yeah, I mean, she struggled with some health issues. Mm-hmm. And I think she's still coming out of it. But she seems to be doing fairly well now. But gosh, this she chews up the role of the judgmental Christian. Yeah. And I want all of it. Mm-hmm. It's so goddamn funny. She's like, there's a higher power that will judge you for your indecency. And Olive's like, Tom Cruise? <laughs> we love Tom Cruise on this pod. He's distanced himself from Scientology a bit. Um, Wait, really? Well, slightly. I mean, he's not out of it. Scientology, I mean, I have a theory. 
they blackmail everyone who's in it so he like can't really leave but there's been nine documentaries about scientology i'm convinced that tom cruise is being blackmailed i mean that that's literally what they do yeah no i i know yeah i've watched all those documentaries but i hadn't heard that he distanced himself but anyway we have to talk about tom cruise because we're gonna start (laughs) talking about top gun again yeah um but no i think that the key function of Amanda Bynes and her clique of judgmental Christians is to demonstrate that as much as women have not made a lot of strides being able to break out of that sort of Madonna slash slut paradigm, mm-hmm. um, Christians have also not come very far being able right. to be accepting and especially forgiving of people. And the only way that they are able to embrace people into their circle is when they start reflecting their own ideas. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge echo chamber. And I love when, um, you know, as soon as Olive extends a little bit of kindness to Marianne, she is all over Olive until yeah. she thinks that Olive has slept with her boyfriend and then immediately... And gave her gave him chlamydia. Yeah, well, right. Yeah. Um, which And that kind of brings up the end where I think both of us agree the movie dropped off a little bit. But but let me wrap mm-hmm. up my thought. Wrap I think the, that idea of her being a very shallow friend is exactly what's reflected in the book where people are only only accepting of hester when she comes back and is giving and like forgives them for being for acting in contrast to their quote-unquote christian values Mm -hmm. that's the only time that they'll accept her back (laughs) right and they never take responsibility for how shitty they're being Mm -hmm. um i think that's exactly reflected in amanda Bynes' character yeah (laughs) agreed christians might not place promiscuous women on a town pedestal of shame anymore Uh, that doesn't mean we are a society free of judgment or slut shaming well it's so interesting because if you look at the the difference in the way that brandon leaves the party room where they've supposedly had sex versus Mm -hmm. how olive leaves the room that scene in particular immediately sets up the stakes for the difference that men and women are going to place on their sexual experiences Mm -hmm. because again we can kind of talk about the brandon subplot in a minute but when he comes out this frat guy who's never been interested and in fact has been bullying him for being gay he comes over immediately and congratulates him and walks away and and all the frat guys are like oh yeah like look at this guy like we thought he was gay but he's not because he just like you know they're propping him up and then olive kind of shamefacedly comes out and everyone like all the women are like oh my god like you're a fucking slut so olive has decided to lie about the situation because she was encouraged by Re to find her self-worth and attractiveness and sex appeal. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as she's received from that room, she's already crossed that threshold of being a slut. Mm-hmm. I think that scene is really important. Yes, for sure. It's funny during, but and then after it's funny too when she's pretending to be like drunk and they're both like, yep, we just did it. Yeah. Yep. But it does have this deeper 
more depressing meaning and that's why the movie's special because it manages to be really funny and light but also tackle these deep themes it there's no tonal whiplash or anything like that it remains funny even when there's a whole subplot of the guidance counselor sleeping with a student Mm -hmm. a uh, 22 year old (laughs) student but a student nonetheless he's legal Uh, but even during that point i thought the movie was going to get bogged down by that but it didn't. It still was light on its feet, fairly. Well, going back to how deep this movie actually gets, even though I can personally empathize with Olive's experience, Mm -hmm. I think almost one of the sadder subplots is that Brandon identifies as gay. And honestly, I think he's completely okay with it inwardly. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he's being so severely bullied in high school by his peers that he has to feel like the only way to be not even paid attention to or popular, but just not to be bullied. Mm -hmm. He begs Olive to give him some heterosexual clout. Yeah. I think that's even darker. Yeah. You know, And, and the fact that he's, again, accepting of it in himself, but he's just like, get me through high school. Just do this so I can get through high school. Right? Yeah. Like, that in itself is so sad. Yeah. And I think that that is a lot of people's experience of just get me through high school, mm-hmm. you know, or get me through this situation, get me through this job. Like the fact that people are so unaccepting is, and, and especially in, in a Christian environment, people are so unaccepting of that. I think it was actually really insightful to put that storyline in here definitely i agree it's crazy to think that this was 12 years ago and we're not in high school now i imagine it is slightly easier but i'm not saying that it is easy it depends on place where you are in the country Uh, right exactly on your family i mean and that's the other thing too like he can't gain sexual clout by claiming to have had sex with another kid with another guy yes in high school it has to be that he's had sex in a heterosexual way Mm -hmm. like i think that just adds another layer that obviously nathaniel hawthorne would not have been able to explore we don't don't know um no no well but (laughs) for him to get published oh yes like he of course like you know he could be queer um i hope he was Uh, actually i hope he wasn't because people probably would have treated him severely terribly um but but my point is that he never would have been able to explore that subplot in his book to be published Mm -hmm. whereas we can talk about how difficult it can be for young people to identify as queer even if they accept it about themselves yes or by their friends but they can't be themselves and feel confident or comfortable without being bullied by their peers yeah so that's a that it's a tragic storyline but at least the weird thing is what happens to him at the end of the movie i think it's kind of strange yeah i think it i think it's clever that they bring back the joke that olive was saying earlier on in the movie that you can tie your life into any classic literature except for Huckleberry Finn. I don't right. see anyone running away with a large black man. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the end of the film, he runs away with a, a black man. Yeah. And I guess it's funny to have that callback, but it's weird that he's in high school yeah. and he's running and he's, away. Yeah. And it's like, actually, this is probably not the best decision. 
and older. Yes. Like, right, right. And and the other thing, too, is that they made such a big stink about the guidance counselor having sex with a student. Right. Uh, with, a, with a weird age gap. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, that was only there to make the callback. So right. it's kind of strange. Um, but anyway, yeah, we can talk about how the end kind of drops off. This is common for Will Gluck films, even the three that I like. So Fired Up is a good film. But it ends on a sour note with one of the characters he's been pursuing, the wife of the the head uh, cheerleading camp guy, played by John Michael Higgins, one of the funniest roles of all time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you almost broke her face right in half. Um, the whole movie he's been pursuing her. And then the credits end with her finally sleeping with the wife. So, like, she's cheating on him. And then John Michael Higgins, who we love, is, like... Like, honey, what's going on? And they hide. And it's like, oh, that's kind of a really depressing, awkward way to end your funny movie. Like, that wasn't necessary at all. Mm-hmm. He's re- he's a homewrecker now. Mm-hmm. Like, your main character's homewrecker. Great. Mm-hmm. So that, that movie ends poorly. Uh, and then this movie does delve into that stereotypical, cheesy high school. And even though they're paying an homage to Can't Buy Me Love, where the the two kids uh, escape on a lawnmower, just mm-hmm. like in Easy A. Patrick it's, Dempsey. Yeah. Who's the... I don't, I don't know the person? other lady, but yeah, it does have kind of a weak ending that's not nearly as funny as the first two-thirds. And then Friends with Benefits. A year later, it was marketed as this edgy, subversive, R-rated comedy, and it was that for a while. The first two-thirds of that movie really really fly by on the charisma of their two stars but then it just has that classic cliched romantic comedy in new york mm-hmm. ending where there's like a flash mob and he's like trying to win her back and i'm like this is not a way to people are going to forget about this movie because of this ending it was if you want to make something subversive be subversive right well at the end of this movie she just she like quote unquote escapes into a relationship that's you know a high school relationship and I think that's such a letdown because like great she ends up with her high school boyfriend like yeah there's nothing to learn from that other than the fact that like oh then it's acceptable for for her to have sex with someone that she's like quote unquote dating I see yeah like there's nothing to me about Olive that makes me feel like she needs to have a boyfriend to be acceptable or happy mm-hmm. and yeah I mean we've talked I think we've probably talked about this before about how it's just such a letdown at the end of a movie if people just like get together and there's like no conflict mm-hmm. like it uh, is very obvious from the first frame that they're going to be together at the end yeah but yeah I mean I it's tough because she does have that line in her vlog. It's like, maybe we'll sleep together tomorrow or in five days or in five years, but it's our business. Yeah. And that that is empowering. But yeah, I just think I just it's just not as funny, and it's just very stock. Yeah. Um, so I agree with you there. That that holds it back from being like a four out of four. Yeah. I And, and again, I'm not saying that I know how I would have changed it differently how I would have ended the movie differently, mm-hmm. but I just feel a little like the movie lost me. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. Also, we can talk about how she sings that uh, Amy Stewart song, Knock on Wood. Uh, no high school would allow a student. Oh, no. <laughs> to, she busts out of this um, yeah. wheelbarrow of logs in lingerie. I know she's been wearing lingerie throughout the movie, but this is like super tight. She would not be allowed well, to wear that. Well, she's not really wearing pants. Yes. She's and, been wearing corsets the whole movie, but she's not wearing pants. Yes, and she sings this super sultry song doing lap dance on students. And, like, that would not... At the end of the song, that's when the principal comes out. They're like, young lady, like, see, I'll see you in my office. But in any other school, they would just stop it before um, it happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of a, a dumb it's little... A little I know it's a movie, but it's just dumb. Yeah, I think it's kind of a way that they're trying to pay homage to the John Hughes movies where there are things that are just so over the top that they would probably never happen. Right. Um, I do think that this is fairly successful at paying homage. Clearly, I mean, she mentions John Hughes by name yes. in her vlog. My, quote unquote, my life was not directed by John Hughes. And I think overall it's pretty successful. Um, yeah. Him having the monopoly on teen movies like the golden age of teen movies during the 80s mm -hmm. and then having this resurgence of teen movies during the late 90s and early 2000s 2010 being i think probably the cutoff of that period of time yep um which was when we were sophomores in high school yeah so it was like perfect i think timing for our generation to come up with those mm -hmm. movies but i think i don't know what was your take on how well they paid homage to those movies. I think they were tasteful. They weren't yeah. over the top. You had slight little references here and there, like when she plays guitar and Dan's yes. like, you're oh. really good at that. And she goes, never had a lesson. Never had a single lesson. Yeah. That yeah. made me laugh. I, I completely forgot about those little nuggets. It's tough to have a coming-of-age high school movie without thinking of John Hughes just in general. Mm -hmm. So I they towed the line well. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And I, yeah, I agree. Oh, in my research, someone pointed out that Olive and her parents both, I didn't even realize what her dad's name is, but Olive, her parents, and her brother all have food names. Right. Yeah. So the Rosemary. Rosemary is her mother. Do you know what her father's name is? This is Dill. Interesting. Yeah. Dill. I've never heard of anyone named Dill, but it was yeah. funny when it was pointed out to me and then her younger brother's name is Chip. I, Which I thought was kind of cute. <laughs> right. My favorite line in the movie is when Brandon comes to the door. It's like, is there an olive here? Oh. And Rosemary goes, yeah, we got a whole jar of them in the fridge. See, that's why when I saw this movie, I was like, that's the pinnacle of being a parent. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like if I can be anything between all of Pendergast's parents and Elio's dad and call me by your name. What about Elio's parents? Well, Elio's parents, I guess. But his dad in particular has the monologue at the end yes. of the movie that makes me cry every time. If I can be anywhere between those two sets of parents, I feel like I would be successful as a parent. Definitely. <laughs> They're just so funny. Yeah. They're just so funny. They're so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when a man and a woman love each other very much like your mom and I used to. <laughs> They yeah. make a baby. Yeah, it's just so funny. Or when they're trying to guess the T word that Olive called her classmate, and they go, T, 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 T. Yeah, they just to console. They're delightful. Yeah. Like when Rosemary's 
consoling her daughter and she said that she had a similar situation when she was her age oh, she's yeah. like i had a horrible reputation and olive goes why she goes because i slept with a whole bunch of people <laughs> mostly guys it's just so funny i yeah, and and i think again that is the extra layer that we need to give all of the character trait yeah. of being really quick like her comeback with tom cruise Right? right. And like that we don't get in a lot of movies. We just get this like quick dialogue that makes the main character seem a little bit out of reach. Like mm-hmm. I could never be that character. Mm-hmm. But even the the whole thing with the ah, I got a bucket, got a bucket full of sunshine. I feel like those scenes with Emma Stone, she doesn't oversell. Mm-hmm. She doesn't make me feel like, oh, that couldn't be me. She makes me feel like... I got a singing card from my grandma when I was 17 or 15, whatever she is in the movie, and I would have done the same thing because she's just so goofy. Like, she gives that nuanced enough performance that's supported by her parents' character traits mm-hmm. that I feel like that could be me. Yeah. And and I think a lot of movies don't necessarily give us that extra layer of seeing her parents act that way. Definitely. And knowing that she probably would mirror that kind of behavior. Definitely. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm your woodchuck Todd. You are. Yeah, you do. It keeps going. Yeah, it should be mentioned, speaking of woodchuck Todd, so the movie ends with Olive and woodchuck Todd getting together. The book ends with... <laughs> Uh, Hester planning to run away with Reverend Dimsdale. Reverend Dimsdale then dies after he admits to the town that uh, he's the father. Dies of shame. And then Roger Chillingworth dies because his quest for vengeance is just over. Yeah. That's a whole other theme of the book that's not in the movie is that vengeance is consuming and you can never Mm -hmm. satiate uh, your thirst for vengeance. But that's not in the movie at all. I don't know how they'd integrate that, but um, yeah. 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 The the book is so dour. Yes. It's that's putting it lightly. Uh, right. And yeah. I think that's really where it's hard to connect on an emotional level. Sure. And, and especially, again, with how life and death truly being adulterous would have been in the time that mm-hmm. this was written. Yeah. Even when, in 1850, when the book was written, not even when the story was being written, was being set, that that can feel a little bit disconnecting, unless you live, again, like in the Bible Belt or something. Yeah. Um, I think this modern retelling is a great way to update it and to kind of check people's judgments on, you mm-hmm. know, pressure to conform and... The expectation of different genders and how they should conduct themselves sexually, but also in people who identify as female and how they should be, you know, slutty, but also pure, but also experienced and, you know, that identity juggle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does a really good job, unfortunately, just until the end. So yeah. um, I guess I'm wrapping my review into that statement. So I'm going to say like three out of four. It For also, the movie? yeah, it also has a great soundtrack mm-hmm. um the sexy silk song is has been on my laptop probably since this came out it's really fun we opened the episode with it and uh pocket full of pocket sunshine. Full sunshine classic annoying as it is because it will stay stuck in your head yes. the entire day um but yeah no it's a it's a fun movie 
the book I understand why it's enduring I understand why we still read it it is a struggle to get through but Mm -hmm. I gotta give it three out of four as an English lit major yeah gotta give it three out of four because it's still doing what it set out to do yeah in my opinion it is surprisingly relevant the movie proves that yeah the easy a does and this isn't even the only adaptation we could have touched on right she she kind of talks about it in the she makes fun of the 90s demi moore adaptation of a scarlet letter and that movie is different because it depicts the lead up to the adultery and then the adultery itself is more Mm -hmm. towards the end of the movie but it also adds in a bunch of action elements like it shows the war uh, with the native americans and like there's a tribe that the Mm -hmm. town is facing off against and it really bloats the movie the the that movie is not like the book at all Mm -hmm. um and it's not good as well i would recommend everyone read the roger ebert review for that movie it's quite funny he oh, yeah. skewers it um yeah so i'll have to go read it yeah r.e.p roger ebert yeah three out of four stars for the book for me for all the same reasons it is an enduring relevant classic but the language is hard for me to comprehend and it is so relentlessly dour yeah. that i have um trouble reading it for long periods of time you sure. need to stop to yeah. just regain your composure the movie as well, really funny. I think I, I mirror your thoughts almost exactly. Well, um, we are married, so... That is true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would say three out of four for the movie as well. Something that is kind of a me thing, I look back at movies about high schoolers in the 2010s and just cringe because the fashion is just so... Oh, 100%. Terrible. I, it's I not their so fault. Similarly to Emma Stone in this movie, though, I totally like the skinny jeans and oh. the and the uh, tank top and the vest. Yes, that was me. And, <laughs> and the flats. Oh my god. And I was shorts that go below the knees. Yeah. <laughs> and tight Abercrombie and Fitch or American Eagle yeah. polos. Yeah. With the bright colors. Yeah. It's not like see. I look back at the fashion of say the eighties. And, you know, when my parents, they're like, oh, they cringe looking back at photos from there. But I look at the 80s fashion. I go, that's cool as shit. Yeah. Like, it's like big, big choices, like really bold. And it just, it's, everyone's looks so confident and like they're having yeah. a fun time. Probably because of the cocaine. Probably <laughs> because of the cocaine epidemic, yes. Um, but also, it was just a wild, wild time. Mm-hmm. And also, I should say, my parents did not partake in the cocaine. <laughs> Do we know that for sure? That Cindy wasn't doing lines. I don't know. When Matt was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But <laughs> anyways, I, I looked at, and even the fashion of the 90s, the grunge, I'm like, that's like really, it's just really unique and seems like everyone ha- was having fun. Mm. I look back at our fashion. I look well, back. Well, the 70s too yeah the big lapels the big hair the big bell bottoms 60s the the love time of peace and grooviness and and weed i mean even the you know the slick kind of retro americana 50s look uh, visually is Mm -hmm. cool to me i look back at the fashion of the 2000s when we grew up and i'm like there is no point in history where that's going to be cool right our our kids you don't think our kids are going to be wearing skinny jeans and vests (laughs) 
They might not wear that stuff, but our kids are not going to be looking back at that time being like, wow, our parents were cool. (laughs) Certainly not with me with my frosted tips. (laughs) They are going to condemn us. Like this, it it was such an ugly time for fashion. There's a lot of V-necks in this movie. Just for, let's go beyond fashion. Just how like things looked like products and technology so tacky and weird and gross and it was just 12 years ago which is insane that like a little over a decade things can change so drastically i like kind of how fashion is trending these days and how technology looks very sleek i'm sure in 10 years we're going to look at that and be like you what were we thinking that's how i feel about this movie i can't help but cringe at look at like the the grainy webcam and the tank tops yeah. and the polos it just I, it's not the movie's fault it's just a feeling that i get and i'm being i'm being honest here that influences how i feel about the movie how i look upon That's it fair. so i wore a lot of layered tank tops i think kind of like the layered pastel aeropostale shirts yeah. That's what I did with my Aeropostale tank tops. Yeah. I would wear like a blue under a brown mm. tank top or a white under a blue. The, and I thought I was so trendy. I would spend... And then I got called slut. So yeah. I, didn't know, I didn't know how to dress because I was either a slut or I wasn't showing enough skin. You're right. Yeah, I would spend over 10 minutes every morning decide what undershirt I wanted to go with my American Eagle polo. Because you're it. supposed to match the color of the eagle. Yeah. That's on your shirt, and yeah. it, they can be different colors. So. And you know what? You know who profited off of that? Fucking goddamn American Eagle, who was like, we can sell two shirts instead of just one. Because these, true. these Capitalism. idiot teens this are is a, buying is, two shirts. This is another <laughs> conversation, dude. Down with capitalism. Yeah, we need to stop. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. We will be back next week with our coverage on Stand By Me. Oh, I'm so excited for this. Based on the Stephen King novella, The Body. I'm We're going to so have, excited. yes, me too. We're going to have our friends from the Secondhand Film Critics on as special guests. Kayla Can- and Noah. Yeah, cannot wait uh, to talk to them. So, yes, please rate and review, subscribe if you haven't already, and we'll see you on the next 